here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello world, this is TJ Morris and you're listening to ET Radio. Welcome aboard all you ground troops spinning around smartly on the planet. Ah, well, it's October 15th and uh, we're going to do UFO Association today with Jan Aldrich and uh, I should have written his phone number down. Jan, can you hear me? Did I not write it down? And this is not going to be good. So I told him I'd call him back, but <laughs> so I've got to get him on here. Let's see. Uh, but he called me on which phone? I've got five phones here. Um, Jen, if you can hear me, please call in because I've got several phones here and I can't seem to get you on here uh, right now because I don't know which phone you called me on. Ah. So usually he calls straight in and uh, we're doing this for UFO Association, so I need him here with his story. So if you'll hold on just a minute, I'm going to play a song while I get him on here. And let that be good enough for today. Let's see, what can we do here? We had uh, all kind of little dillies here, but here we go. Let's uh, let's see here. Uh, I can hopefully not bore anybody, but uh, Merrill Finkhauser, he wrote Wipeout. And he gave us some information to use. Let's see if we can use some of this while I get the phone.
All right. We do have Jan Aldrich here today. He's in Connecticut. And this is a time when uh, we're losing a lot of information on the planet, as usual. So uh, we're forming a trade association for ufologists, archaeologists, anthropologists, alienologists, uh, ufologists of a a certain type. Uh, We used to call them historians, archivists, analysts. Journalists, reporters, researchers, webmasters, writers, videographers, and we're doing this together in hope that uh, you can get some type of information that you may be looking for or just want to be friends of ours and share our lives because uh, we've been archivists and we're the ones sort of like the, for me, I was like a man in black, but a woman in black. I was never in the forefront of ufology or out there on the mainstream where people could know about me. And I understand that uh, Jan was a lot like me, and we're going to talk to him because he was 25 years in the military, 25 years with the post office. He is a cancer survivor. I've only recently found out due to throat cancer, but uh, my daughter just passed away, and I'm just coming back into uh, the limelight as a uh, radio show host after seven years here with TJ Marcy T Radio. And uh, we started off a little slow, but uh, getting Jan and I together has been a long process. We've done a couple of shows together now. And uh, we're going to start all over again because we're going to do this project right so we can start mentioning who we are, but mainly the people that help us get all these archives going in the first place back uh, he was born in 44 and I was 51 so we're going to do our best to cover the years we were here on the planet and hopefully it'll mean something uh, to the future because we were here doing the job with so many other friends of ours so we call this the UFO Association we're listener supported so please uh, if you can make a donation and we'd appreciate it and we have TGMRCTRadio.com if uh, you could like to uh, help us out and uh, we're going to do UFO Association files as oral reports because so many of us have collected information and we can't seem to get it together fast enough. And he's going to explain a lot of that because he's recently been to a meeting of people such as himself. And uh, he has participated in meeting other ufologists and alienologists at uh, different groups, uh, mainly CUFOs. Center for UFOs, uh, and uh, he's going to help us with the history of NICAP and APRO and uh, then later MUFON, and uh, we're going to do the best we can to uh, start back with uh, what, I guess, Steven Spielberg started with the uh, Foo Fighters in the movie movie Taken and move forward uh, with uh, hopefully everything from where Jan wants to start. Now, he does have a website or, uh, he's been working on for a long time called Project 1947. He and many of his uh, fellow uh, ufologists have uh, helped him compile evidence or findings of fact. And uh, I started with DOD, DON myself, and uh, I'm glad to be here now. And let me bring him on. Let me make sure I've got the right phone number. Oh, that's not it. Well, uh, are you here? Yes, I am. Oh, you have an Can 860 you number. Yeah, interesting. Mine's 850 and yours is 860. I, I was, didn't even know if that was your number. So how right. about that? So you, 
you've got good uh, data, but you've got uh, better yet, you've got bars where you are. You had to go get a better location there in Connecticut, right? You're in Connecticut? Right. I'm down by the town hall where it's, uh, we, we got pretty good reception. Okay. So the town yeah, hasn't got the uh, When the you get a Wi-Fi field, that's a, that's a problem. Okay, so uh, is your is your the town you live in? Is it not fully 5G yet? They haven't laid the cyber, well they call them fiber optics along the roads yet, or up on the I don't know where they put them on the oh, telephone I, lines. I, I, I don't hear that because the 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 local carrier says uh, I'm in a I, I'm in a place where I can't get it. They didn't uh, whatever it is it. Uh, now, people down the road from me about uh, two miles or so have it, but I can't get it. So I'm, uh, That's I'm interesting. Gonna to use, but uh, I'm going to have to get some other <clears throat> provider. But that's, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the things for living in the country. Okay. Yeah, well, I lived in the country 20 years in Kentucky. I'm glad to be down here in Gulf Breeze, Florida. But this is Jean Aldrich, everybody, from Connecticut in a little country, country town where they don't have really good reception, but we're picking him up right now. But uh, we're just warning you that if we don't get something or you fall off, uh, Jean, I'll do my best to call you back. I've finally written down your phone number. So, <laughs> And these cell phones, we try to keep everything in the cell phone. And I went back looking in all of them, and none of them had your history. So, And I said entire history, but it didn't keep it. So I'm glad that we're in contact now. That's part of it, folks, is being able to find each other. And thanks to Facebook, uh, if you want to keep people in the know, please put your name and how to get in contact with you. And a lot of people in the UFO field didn't do that. But, Jan, tell us, let's get started here with, uh, now that we've got through all the little problems of getting together, hopefully the next time won't be so hard. But it may be, but let's try. Now, you have a history, uh, and you were born in 1944. Were you born in Connecticut? Let's get just some of the basics so people know what went for why. I was born in Ohio. So, oh, uh, outside of Cleveland. So, and that was was that a country too, town? Huh? Was, was that, that a country town? Was yeah, that a well, country where town? I was, where I was uh, outside of Cleveland, yeah, it was a country town. I I used to have uh, oh after I after I could start walking, uh, uh, my mother got a. Uh, part border collie and so that was like my babysitter he wouldn't let me go where anything was dangerous huh can you hear me okay yes i can good i'm trying out a new phone so i just swapped so thank you for that all right well uh now did you finish your high school there and how when no, what no, age no. Were you? i moved back we moved back to connecticut in uh um uh when I was going to uh um uh school so uh I, I all my school was in uh my high school was in Meriden, Connecticut. So were your parents from Connecticut? You said moved back. You were born in Ohio. Well were your well, parents you know, from Connecticut? Yes they were. Mm. Yes they were. So my, you know, that's why my father wanted to live in Connecticut again. 
he got a, he got a pretty good job, so we moved back there. Did they work for um, the government or not? No, no, no. From... no. He worked. He's, he was a chemist. He worked for several uh, firms, usually on uh, uh, what what might be called new metals at the time. I mean, this is back in the fifties. So he's working on molybdenum and uh, uh, titanium, um, uh, rhenium. He did a lot of work on rhenium, which is a very expensive metal. Uh, it's got some uh, rather unusual properties, and so uh, and it's very hard to uh, uh, purify. I think at the time it was like uh, $25,000 for uh, uh, a pound and he found a way he and his uh, uh, buddy there at the at the uh, company found a way to uh, uh, purify it for a lot less through ion exchange which theoretically didn't work you know my father made a joke and the other guy was a chemical engineer, and he says, uh, he said, you can use the ion exchange column to uh, uh, to do this. And, of course, it, it uh, with rhenium, it doesn't work. It shouldn't have worked. But uh, uh, the chemical engineer tried it anyways. You know, he says, well, it, it, and it works. It works for about two hours, then it poisons the... Uh, the ion exchange column and you have to recharge it so uh, but it works long enough and the the stuff was um, valuable enough that it was worth it to uh, you know take just a partial uh, just a little bit purified at a time and then having to redo it all the time so uh, the theory wasn't quite correct that you, uh, you couldn't do it with ion exchange. So they pat- patented that. And they uh, had the inside track on that metal. Wow. How about that? Your father owns a patent or did own a patent? Yeah, he did. He did. Well, no. Wow. Uh, the company, no, 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 that's not the way The company works. he worked the with. The company owns, owns all the patents you do when you Oh, like the government. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean his name was on the patent, but the company owns it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he got a paycheck to play with it. <laughs> so a lot of people yeah, well, don't they, have uh, the money for the patents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He. Uh, yeah, they had to fight the uh, patent office for a while to try to, because uh, they, you know, they kept claiming that there were other people that had come up and. Uh, uh, you know, they had to show that they're they were the first ones, and when they did, they got the patent. So, well, I understand Einstein worked at a patent office for years, and a lot of people say he got a lot of his ideas, best ideas. So now it's up, even though he's a brilliant man, and we don't we know him as uh, you know E equals M C squared. I guess is. <laughs> when you think of Einstein, you think of a f- formula equation for energy. But anyway, uh, 
I wonder, you know, that's just something we can talk about because now that we're historians and talking our truth, getting to know each other, we may want to look into findings of fact in the way history is written. Usually it's written by those that win the wars, but the people that run the wars in the world have always been financing both sides, we come to find out, and that's a lot of what we're going to talk about. But let's get the rest of the genealogy out of the way on your name. Mine, uh, of course, I'm European, but my Irish and my mother's and European for Thurman Thur- goes to Thurber and Thor's protection. But uh, what about Jan Aldrich? Is Aldrich uh, from Europe as well, Indo-European or what? Oh, no, no, no. You're, I, I don't want to go in too long a story, but uh, my mother was... Uh, um, my my father just had to have that uh, blonde gal, and uh, ah. well, what her, was her parents name? said, "Uh, uh-uh, no, no Polak Catholic is going to marry my daughter." Ah, oh. so, uh, well, my my, my, uh, so my he mother. To, he, so he 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 went ahead and changed his changed his name to Aldrich. Ah, uh-huh. And, and changed his religion to uh, Episcopalian, and then uh, then he was, he was able to marry uh, uh, marry that blonde gal. Uh, but uh, well, what was her maiden name? My yeah, well, uh, her name was uh, you know she she was an she was uh, English, uh, Irish, Scottish, so she was. Uh, uh, they, my grandfather, my grandmother, uh, they 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 thought they they said they came over. You know, their family came over on the Mayflower. Um, however, when I got to be old enough to understand what happened to my father, I, <clears throat> I uh, wrecked vengeance on him because I said, "Yeah, you guys are, <laughs> you guys are not what you're saying you are." You guys uh, were up in Canada uh, wandering around trying to get to Boston and got stuck in Maine, and you never came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> oh, you think they came through Canada then? Were they Norwegian? Well, they, you know, they had they, they had roots in Canada. The um, the thing was, I just I just thought that was super snooty about what they did, and so I'm. Well, changing the name was common coming to America. That was very common, and especially for the Polacks being handed by the Jews, the wars of the whether it was or not before the Warsaw Pact. My, my father had already been here, though. I mean, he was, you know, so. You know, he's established in America already. When he she, was established in America, he was he was native born, but he had a. He had a, uh, a a Polak name, so that uh, uh, does Polak like mean said, from I, Poland? I, I, I always thought that was uh, you know kind of uh, offensive what they had done to um, uh, so uh, he could marry their daughter, but uh, um, like I say, when you're desperate, you do desperate things. <laughs> well. Does Pollock you're referring to is that a slang term or is there a real definition uh, well, of it's ownership? Well, sort of it's sort of a derogatory uh, uh, name for Polish people. Um, uh, my father was part 
a Polish and part, uh, well, my grandfather was half Polish and half Russian. And uh, he had been in the Tsar's army. Um, and he was able to get away and, and get on a boat to come to the United States. So uh, had he stayed in the Tsar's army, he probably would have been dead. So, uh, so, so is uh, people that's from kind Poland of the genealogy of, uh, of of my family? Well, is Poland uh, Holocaust law type of? Is that a real word or is that a slang term for people coming from Poland? Since we're historians, what uh, yeah, what Polak, does that mean? Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, like I say, it's a it's a it's sort of a derogatory term for Polish people. Okay, well, my grandfather was from Poland, a Polish Jew, so uh, they changed uh, their religion to Protestant in America because of uh, they weren't. It was like my some of my relatives were American Indian, and they weren't allowed to be Indian, and the Jews weren't allowed to be Jewish. So when they get to America and mix them all together, we become Heinz Fifty Seven. So I imagine right. most people, if they do their genealogy, they'll find out they're mixed you know not just 100 percent well, pure anything <laughs> yeah well well that's that's just me now you can see all the mixture i have but uh, uh my son's half korean and my grandsons are half mexican so they have you know there's quite a bit of mixing right there plus my daughter-in-law even though she's mexican she is uh she is not catholic she has, uh, oh. she has her, uh, she's Pentecostal, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's America. It's, it's, it's one of the weirdest places on earth. And I so think that's why we're genealogy. so successful. I think that's why we're mm-hmm. so successful is because we have, uh, it, it doesn't matter who you are over here. We have freedom to do things that. Other people don't have in their countries, and we just we take advantage of it. And look what we built. So that's yeah, that's you know that's I I I am a super patriot. There's no question about it. Well, that's wonderful uh, that you are yeah. a super patriot. Prior prior army, and uh, we're going to expose what little disclosure we can. Uh, with who we are and uh, being super uh, patriots, I guess one might say, and that's including uh, science and and theology and philosophy and psychology and anything else you can think of is Mm -hmm. the arts, culture, education, science, technology, engineering, folk life. But folks will work with everybody because we're forming this UFO association to be something of a place that has to do with UFO for unidentified flying objects. Now, Jan, since you were born in Connecticut, and I'm down here, I was born in Louisiana and raised in Texas, Houston, and then went to the military and went to Chicago and then Hawaii and Japan and got to go to Africa and Spain, got to travel, but I'm sure you did too. And this brings us to how do we both get to with each other on UFOs to get this association? What makes us uh, so interested in UFOs? Do you want to tell mine is well, just uh, some experiences I've had, but uh, yeah, and being well, like a is, consultant. Uh, yeah, mine was um, uh, when I was uh, 
in junior high, I uh, uh, dur- during uh, Christmas vacation, uh, I uh, saw a ball lightning, and uh, of course, my like my father being a chemist, uh, when he came home, I asked him what the what was that that I saw, and he said, you know what, library's a good place to find things out. That's what he sent me down there, and. Uh, I found out about ball lightning. One of the things at the time, if you look in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it said uh, most scientists don't believe ball lightning really exists. The more I read about it, there were a lot of people that had lots of theories that explained it, and none of them worked very well. Um, And I knew I saw it. And... By reading about ball lightning, I got interested in UFOs. And uh, one of the first books I picked up was uh, um, the report on uh, unidentified flying objects by uh, Edward Ruppelt. And uh, that got me even more interested in UFOs. So, And the, uh, the relationship to ball lightning is the same thing. Nobody thought that UFOs exist either. So it was kind of uh, one thing led to another. So you would say that uh, interest in Ball of Lightning and then happened on, in the library, was this the book by uh, Ruppelt? That was your first book that you learned about UFOs? Yes, that was where I, I had read a little bit before, but the, the Ruppelt book was the one you know, uh, I really read all the way through, and uh, you know, it's very well, well written, and it's a, it's a popular book, so it's a popular style, so it was easy to read, and that, that was the whole thing he was going for, is not to get too technical with things. Um, so it was, uh, it was interesting. Eventually, I read Kehoe and uh, Flying Saucer's Top Secret, and uh, that was about NICAP. And so uh, when I was in high school, I joined NICAP. Um, wow, you were awfully young. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, and uh, <laughs> what year was that? Uh, and folks, if he's coughing, he apologizes uh, because he already explained it to me. So I'll just explain it to you. He had throat cancer. And. Uh, it caused him to have like scar tissue uh, from his operation, and uh, it causes him to cough. So we apologize for that, but he's not a heavy smoker. So yeah, right. <laughs> it's due to scar tissue, and it causes him to cough. So that's just going to be something we hope everybody will look over uh, in our oral reports. And uh, any other uh, Anything else you hear, this is live. So if you hear airplanes going over, I'm down here in Gulf Breeze, and you may hear the Blue Angels fly over because this is their home. And uh, so just letting you know, this is just two people doing a live recording, just like if we were in the library writing or researching, but this is live on the air, and we're doing our best to keep a good archive. And we're going to start just by letting you get to know us and why we're doing it today and uh, I'm getting to know Jan and Edward J. Ruppelt was a United States Air Force officer 
And his uh, involvement in the Project Blue Book is what he's known for. But he was born in Iowa in 1923, July 17th, and he died September 15th, 1960 in Long Beach, California. Now, uh, he was known for uh, his service in World War II, and uh, he has the report on unidentified flying objects. And uh, what was the name of the book that you read? Was that it, the report on UFO? Yeah, uh, the report on unidentified flying objects. That was the name all of the right. book. Uh, so uh, we'll start was, there. Uh, it, was, it, was fairly, uh, it was fairly successful. It wasn't a bestseller, but it was... It was, uh, you know, it sold a lot of copies. Um, okay. And his name is well known. And you also said you joined NICAP. So uh, we've got the name listed now, Edward J. Rupelt, in the book, The Report of Unidentified Flying Objects by uh, Edward J. Rupelt. And this is Jan Aldrich with his project, 1947. And Jan has started uh, this UFO association with us as a UFO reporter and one of the best. And we're going to get into, he joined NICAP. And for some reason, my television just came on. <laughs> I had, I'm sitting here going, there's, how, is, how does that happen? Okay. I don't understand these electronics uh, yeah. these days and they're all synced together, but I'm going to, ha- uh, I don't see the clicker. So that, Interesting. This happens sometimes. All right. So, if you will discuss uh, a little bit about how you got into NICAP and uh, what is that? Can you tell us what NICAP stands for? And I'll just let you sure. talk for a minute. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, um, NICAP was started in '56 by a, a group of people in. Uh, UFO uh, enthusiast in Washington, D.C., and um, eventually uh, a fellow named T. Thompson Brown became the uh, chairman. And he had all kinds of grandiose schemes to uh, have an organization that would uh, uh, research gravity and uh, uh, investigate UFOs and uh, um, do things with space travel, and you you might notice a uh, a similarity to an organization we have today. Um, however, his budget was going to be uh, millions of dollars, and nobody could ever raise that in 1956. Um, the book I read that told me about NICAP was Flying Saucer's Top Secret by uh, Major Donald E. Keogh, who had been writing on UFOs since 1949. And he was the, uh, he became the uh, director of NICAP uh, in 57. And so I read his book in uh, 1960. And uh, I guess I was a sophomore when I joined NICAP in high school. And during the summer, my father used to take us to places that were historically significant. So one of the places he took us was uh, we went through Virginia and saw some of the uh, Civil War and 
um, uh, Revolutionary War battlefields and uh, monuments and things. And we went through Washington, and I, I asked my father if I could go to NICAP, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Um, and so he said, sure. And so I just uh, went up uh, in the building. They were on the fourth floor, I think, then, and uh, walked in, and uh, there was Richard Hall. It was the... Um, secretary at the time and uh, two women that were working there and that was the whole of NICAP at the time except for Major Keogh who you know, came in there uh, you know, maybe once a week or once a month uh, he worked from uh, he worked from his office in Virginia and so we got talking to uh, I got talking to uh, um, Hall and uh he was surprised about how much I knew about UFOs and uh, <clears throat> that, you know, how much I knew about science. Of course, being around my father, he's a chemist, so I picked up a lot of stuff. So yeah, I, I, I guess I was sort of bugging him, but uh, actually, we talked for about two hours. So that was that was uh, that was to me that was a great great thing to meet uh, Dick Hall and uh, uh, that's, that's kind of how yeah it was wonderful and, and so after that I'm I'm waiting for every uh, issue of uh, the UFO investigator which is their uh, which was their uh, bulletin that uh, came out and uh trying to uh, find out more about UFOs everywhere I could. One of the things I found out is old newspapers. You could look through newspapers and find out find out things about, uh, you know, like 1952. That's one of the first years I looked at. I looked at 1952 in the Meriden, Connecticut newspaper, and there there were sightings there. They weren't very interesting, but they were, you know, uh, somewhat interesting. Um, I looked at some more newspapers, and some of them were, were might, much more interesting. And then I found a New Haven paper, and it said they were having so many. This is in August of 1952. They were having so many cases coming out of Connecticut that, Blue Book was sending a special uh, investigation team to find out what was going on. Well, that that clipping was really great. Uh, I sent that, I sent that, uh, wrote that up and sent it into Dick Hall, and he says, "Oh, this is this is something we we didn't know about." He says, "See if you can find out some more." Well, I looked around. I never did see anything more. Uh, um, but then I started looking in 57 and there were, there were things in 57 and, uh, things in 58. So it was, it was, it was interesting. Um, years later, Ted Blocher started looking for, uh, newspaper clippings when the UFOs first started in 1947 and uh, I found out that Ted Blocher, he was he was working for NICAP at the time. 
I found out he was doing this, and I said, I've already done this. That's what I should do. I should help him out. So I started looking for 1947 things, and I, his book, uh, Report on the UFO Wave of 1947, was um, it was great. Uh, I was too late. He'd already done a lot of the work before I, I started. But uh, I got well, a letter from him saying, Oh, I'm What's sorry. That? Go ahead, finish, finish that, and then I'm gonna plug National uh, NICAP. But you got a letter from. Go ahead. I got a letter from Ted, and he said, "Well, it's great to have these sightings that you sent in from 1947 from Connecticut. Uh, some of them I don't have." And he told me, uh, "I'm continuing doing this." Now, this is in this is in about '67. This is many years later. But uh, I'm continuing doing this, uh, and uh, I, I appreciate any help you can get me. So that's when I started looking in newspapers, and that's when I got in really interested into what happened in 1947. So, <clears throat> and that's where Project 1947 comes from. That, well, let's discuss first... NICAP and up to 1947 because. Uh, you, you use NICAP, which is an abbreviation, which we do for most of these large companies and large associations. And this apparently was a, established as a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., founded by, it says, Thomas Townsend Brown, B-R-O-W, and Donald Kehoe in uh, October 24, 1956. National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, ergo NICAP as the uh, acronym of the initials. Now, uh, when you went there, you were probably one of the youngest members uh, because what year? If they were founded in 1956 and you wanted to go there and they ceased operation in 1980. Now, this is according to the Internet folks, which uh, – Jan and I are very much a supporter of, and you'll find out that the stuff we used to do and look up hard copy and uh, findings of fact is, on paper is part of the design when we came in and the government and then scanning. And I was actually a scanner for the U.S. Navy, believe it or not. Sounds, not that wasn't my title. I think my net title was something else. I don't even remember my title, but it was part of my job. To get paper onto microfish, but now he's talking about cutting, finding paper clips and all of that. He went to NICAP, and you met. Did you say Donald Hall again? Hall. Say that Richard Hall. Now, did he work for this Thomas Townsend Brown and Donald Kehoe? Can you? No, no, no. Thomas uh, uh, Brown was out of there by 1957. Keo, uh, uh, Keo, and his uh, his uh, followers replaced Brown. Um, okay. Brown, Brown, Brown. Uh, you you could never uh, run NICAP the way he did. He wanted to uh, he wanted to do millions of dollars of uh, business, and there's no way they could ever get any money like that. They they so got a few with... in the beginning. They got a few uh, donations of uh, one to five thousand dollars, but nothing that I mean. They were always in financial uh, uh, 
uh, trouble. They were always, all, you know, one paycheck uh, away from closing the thing forever. So it, uh, it was impossible to do what Brown thought they should be doing. Um, okay. And that's first-hand information because you joined in high school. Now, what year did you join NICAP? Because you apparently already knew about it from reading in the yeah, library. Well, I, I, read, I read, like I said, I read uh, Keogh's, uh, uh Flying Saucers Top Secret, which is about NICAP. It's about the first uh, um, uh, three years of NICAP. And uh, so... Uh, so you joined 60s in the 60s? Because you're older than me. 1960, yeah. In 1960, I joined. You must be one of the oldest if it was just started. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. You must I, be like one of the oldest members uh, alive. Now, here's you the and, thing. NICAP, uh-huh. NICAP uh, still exists. If you okay. just go to the internet and put NICAP.org, you can go to the NICAP site. And this now, who is, is that a, picture? Who is the picture you know, well, of the man? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's run by uh, uh, Francis Rich, who was a NICAP member. And he has authority to use the name. He is authorized to use the name. Okay. Now, what is his name and who authorized it? Well, his uh, Francis Ridge is. Uh, he was. Uh, he was one of the uh, subcommittee. They used to have what they called subcommittees. That were little little units that investigated local sightings. So he. Uh, um he was he was uh the uh indiana uh, one of the indiana subcommittee members or uh head of the indiana subcommittee now and, was that uh, the outside of washington d c was indiana the next headquarters because no it says no no no, no okay no 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 no, okay. Uh, they had they had they had uh, dozens of subcommittees at any one time. They had uh, they had one in uh, Massachusetts. They had one in Rhode Island. They had one in New uh, New, uh, New Hampshire. Um, uh, Indi- like I said, Indiana, New York, um, California. They had uh, several in California. They had one in Hawaii. They had one in Guam. They had one in Chile. They had one in Europe. So they were all over the place. Um, but uh, Francis Ridge was, uh, <clears throat> he wanted to keep the name going. And so uh, Kufos owns the name. And uh, so they gave, Kufos uh, bought the NICAF files. Wow. Uh, how so, about that? That's important knowledge right there. Right, right. So Kufos, uh, in the uh, um, after NICAP was, uh, well, it didn't go out of business. It was still in business when they bought the files. 
but uh, they plus, were uh, on, on the verge of going out of business. So Kufos uh, uh, bought the uh, NICAP files and the name and everything else and retired. What year did they the buy it? What year was uh, that, 80? They retired it in 1980. Is Wikipedia right about that? If Kufos, yeah, it was, about, it, was studies, about 19, right? it was about 1980. It was about 1980. However, they had the uh, they had the um, um, it's a registered trademark. So, okay. Uh, so they had the they they owned it when they bought the files. They actually took over NICAP. And, My uh, so 1980 was a big year. Merged it with uh, with Kufos, and uh, uh, in the uh, in the 90s, Francis Ridge um, asked if they if he could resurrect the name for his site because he had been a a nightcapper, and he. Uh, they gave him permission, and so um, many publications and many things about NICAP are on the NICAP site, and the uh, uh, it's a it's a great resource for UFO uh, uh, ufologists and others interested in the subject. It's uh, thousands of sightings on are uh, on the site. So it's uh, it's it's a great thing, and of course, uh, uh, you know, Fran Ridge is my colleague. We're we're good friends. Um, so do you have a copy of the so, UFO uh, investigator? Do you have a copy of the UFO investigator from April May 1961, Volume One, Number Twelve? Would you have a copy of that in your possession? Published by probably. NICAP. <laughs> yeah, probably. All right, I'm looking at a copy of it on the internet, and I don't know how it got here, but it's through kufos.org. Apparently, it's the 012 April May 1961 PDF, folks. I'm looking at it right here. Now, how can I see this on the internet? Who is it compliments of? Is that Kufos, maybe? Well, Kufos, like I said, Kufos owned NICAP, so uh, if you go to uh, Kufos, dot org um, and uh, I think it says um, either NICAP publications or NICAP uh, you, you may have to look uh, it may say early UFO publications but all the UFO investigators and the uh, NICAP bulletins are on the Kufo's site, you can see those, and like, like you said, they're all PDFs. So uh, they're all available to look at. Plus, a lot of NICAP documents are on the Kufo's site. All right, the, Center uh, for I, UFO Studies, right? Center for UFO Studies, and we have right. to mention that J. Allen Hynek that comes into the picture. But we're going to try to keep a, 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 I guess, a timeline here. Uh, Jan Aldrich yeah. for NICAP for you because you started the original NICAP member in 1960. It started in 56. 
you read a book in the library and became interested, and you have been interested ever since, and you've devoted your entire life from the time you were in high school to UFO research based on the fact that your daddy told you to go look in a library up a ball of lightning, <laughs> and you're still on the quest. <laughs> yes, yeah, He's that's right. Right, right. Long, yeah. Here we are. So here we are now doing a, a radio show in 2019. I don't know if you thought you'd be doing radio in 2019 no, I, for oral reports. Yeah, and I, I didn't think uh, I didn't think the name Nightcap would still exist in 2019, but it does. Wow. And, uh, that's thanks to Francis. So, uh, yeah, and his site is has a lot of things about Nightcap on it. A lot of the history, um, like I say, he does not have the uh, the publications, but he has. He has a number of free books that uh, uh, UFO and uh, UFO evidence is there. Um, Rupelt's book is there. Some of Keo's books. He has uh, on the Nightcap site. There's a lot of free books that you can get. Um, I, I think a lot of history about Nightcap. So. And and a huge amount of uh, UFO sightings. It's a it's a great resource. Um, well, we'll connect that on our UFO resource. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it keeps it keeps the name Nightcap alive. Okay. Well, I will go and put that link. Now, what about APRO in TUFOs? We got to get these down, but I'll do it while I'm talking to you. We'll build the UFO right, association. So. So uh, after after uh, being in uh, in NICAP for a while, I found out there was another big organization called uh, APRO out in uh, um, at the time I think they were in New Mexico. So uh, uh, and they, had, they 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 let's they, talk about that. Yeah, they were a very early organization, uh, 1952. Um, and uh, they were run Third by it was run by Cora Lorenzen with her husband, uh, um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, and he was, uh, uh, he was, uh, was a scientist, so, um, he was a good asset for them, and, uh, uh, they now, started you know in Wisconsin, how... and they moved. They moved to uh, New Mexico because they he got a job down there, and she was working for the Air Force uh, at uh, Holloman, so she had an inside scoop about what was going in. I mean, people would they knew her as the flying saucer lady, so people <laughs> would slipper slipper stuff. You know, people Holloman was a hotbed of UFO activity, and people would slip her stuff every once in a while. So she got, she got, uh, um, she was a, a good source of information. So <clears throat> I think I joined them in the uh, when I was in my senior year. So I I got the APRO bulletin for um, uh, sixty three on, I guess. Wow, you had um, money for a high school kid back in the 50s and 60s. That's amazing. Well, well 60s. 
Well, they started I, work, I, work, I work for the local radio station. Oh, uh, you didn't tell me that. So you, uh, yeah, you're an old radio that. person, too. So this is apropos. So I, so I went, um, I, I, I cleaned the station, and I, uh, I was the le- record librarian. Wow. So, this so is after awesome. school. So after school every day, I went down there and uh, cleaned up the radio station, uh, took the records that the disc jockeys played and uh, refiled them, and uh, um, any new records that came in, I made up uh, cards so the uh, disc jockeys could find the music uh, that they wanted. Wow. Catalog, catalog, uh, so... So uh, I, I was working there about uh, maybe 10 to 12 hours a week, so I had a little bit of money. Wow. How about that? It's come full circle. Libraries and radio stations, and those are my two things I did in my history, too, along with the government here in America. So maybe there's no coincidence. Maybe there is an uh, infinite person pulling the strings or defining our future destiny or maybe not i don't know we've we didn't talk about free will and consciousness some time later in one of the other shows but today we're sponsoring ufo association and that can entail who you are in your consciousness and how in the world you ever got involved now this is jan aldrich folks helping me explore our history as a historian and more importantly he became a ufologist Actually, back in 1960, by joining NICAP, and we're talking about Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, APRO, started by Jim and Carl Lawrenson in Wisconsin. They put out a little uh, report, and he found out about it. Now, do you remember how you found that this was a research group about UFOs in January 52? Because uh, it says that they were. Um, oh, oh, yeah, sure. That was, that was at the library. I, You know, I started looking around and did. You know, there's catalogs of organizations and things like that. So I looked ah. up, uh, I looked up uh, APRO, or well, I looked up uh, UFO organizations, and they listed about three or four of them. <clears throat> Some of them were dead at the time. Um, civilian, um, civilian uh, saucer investigation in Los Angeles. It was, uh, it was dead. Um, civi- uh, civilian intelligence, c- civilian saucer intelligence in New York. Um, they had more or less, uh, at the time, uh, combined with NICAP, so they were no longer publishing anything. Um, uh, now that see, was I, I, so I thought, yeah, yeah, so I, uh, I, I, uh, I looked up, you know, I, and APRO was one of the ones I looked up, and they were still in business, so I joined them. Um, let's see, um, Lee Munsick had worked in NICAP, but uh, he couldn't afford it because they didn't pay a very good salary, so he had to move back to New Jersey. So uh, somehow I got his address, and I wrote him, and he told me, he said, well, uh, I used to 
publish a UFO newsletter here in New Jersey, so he sent me copies of what he had. So that was that was you know that was another interesting thing. And uh, if I could find you know if I found people like that, I wrote to them. How about so I, uh, Jeremy Clark in uh, the CSI newsletter with Michael Schwartz? Did you you knew Michael Schwartz? Uh, no, American no, I, I, I don't know any. What's that? The CSI? Which one? Los Angeles CSI. or New York? Yeah, that huh? was the one in New York. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He became an. Uh, according to Michael D. Schwartz, uh, described the CSI that uh, the Herculean efforts of their talented UFO researchers. But he was talking about uh, his group, I guess, in New York, and then they dropped the New York off of that name. But uh, I guess because they wanted to be the uh, independent unidentified flying object research group. But it was called Civilian Saucer Intelligence. You called it CSI. So that's very important that we mention that since it's – now you said uh, they became a part of another group, right, the New York group, and that's Jeremy Clark. Uh, Membership was small and lacked quantity. But uh, it was also uh, the American biochemist Michael D. Swartz described CSI as the result of the Herculean efforts of three talented UFO researchers. But I don't see the names of them. Do you have those? Well, I'm going to tell you them right now. So I wow. already talked about Ted Blocher, and he he went to work for NICAP. Um, and so <clears throat> Isabel Davis was uh, the other. Um, uh, important researcher in CSI, and she went to work for NICAP. Wow. Um, uh, Alexander Mabain was uh, was a chemist, and um, uh, he he didn't go to work for NICAP, but uh, he he still uh, helped out. He translated things from French and German and Italian for them, and um, uh, he was helpful to NICAP after they uh, after they closed. They didn't really close it up. They just kind of folded into NICAP. Are those now, let me talk about the Los Angeles one, huh? Okay. Are those people well, alive? Los Angeles. Um, Isabel nobody, Davis. Davis. No, no. Isabel Davis was quite old at that time. Uh, she was. Uh, uh, Isabel Davis was my mentor. Every time I visited NICAP, I just loved to talk to her. Wow, was, uh, what a history. You're something. You can, you're so still alive was, uh, to tell the story. This is great. Yeah. Uh, she was my mentor, and she, uh, she was uh, um, a real adventurer. I mean, uh, after college, she she had her own boat, you know, and she said, she said, my father came down to visit me, and uh, here I am living on this boat docked in New York City, and he she says uh, he was he was horrified. He didn't think any young woman should be doing that. So uh, she said when, when you know she was. Uh, when she was young, uh, she was she was quite adventurous. So, um, and of course, she and she had been in 
interested in uh, Fordian Fordian phenomena and UFOs uh, much longer than I had. She'd been interested, so um, uh, she would uh, tell me about uh, important things that had happened in the uh, before I became interested. So. Um, and like I said, she was my uh, mentor on uh, lots of things about UFOs that uh, uh, she taught me and uh, things about how, how she investigated and <clears throat> is, uh, is very interesting. And like I said, Ted Blocher, he's looking in the uh, newspapers, and I had already done that, and I... Um, I uh, Every time I got a chance, I, once I once I went somewhere, I went to the library. Of, you know, like I, I was I went to college up in Boston. So one of the first things I did is go to the library and look for um, newspaper articles in old newspapers and send them to Ted. Was her so, name in there? Is there ways to track Isabel Davis for Wikipedia to get her in the Wikipedia or not? I, I don't think she's in the Wikipedia. She's uh, she she probably should be. She, uh, Ted Blocher is still alive. And, uh, uh, he should probably be in there too, uh, considering all the things he did during his lifetime. He didn't they just do UFOs, so he was a so we'll have... a, a, a an activist. So. Uh, okay. So. Uh, but these names are important, and especially the fact that you're here to still tell the story and you lived it. That's what makes yeah. you special is you have firsthand experience. I do not with these people. I met J. Allen Hynek, but we're not there yet. We're still on uh, CSI, and uh, well, we've, we're going full circle. We'll get back to Kufos and J. Allen Hynek, but uh I'd like to establish all these groups that you can think of in your mind and uh, make sure people can track them on the Internet or at least in Wikipedia or future in our UFO Association. I'll make sure we've got these names listed back to Project 1947 or NICAP or at least your RSS feeds. uh, uh, I hope you have an RSS feed set up for your Project 1947. I'll have to check it out. If not, we'll get one set up for you, uh, so oh, it'll yeah. bleed over. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Ted Blocher, uh he started in CSI in 1954, I think. I, I think it had already been it had already been formed before that. But he has uh, he has a diary that he kept. And uh, it's at the New York uh, Public Library about uh, his experiences in CSI. So, uh, and it's very interesting. He talks about the people he met there and the uh, talks that were given. And uh, so it's, uh, uh, it isn't on the Internet. You have to go to the New York Public Library, but uh, uh he, he pretty well did that. Um, of course, Isabel Davis, her files and CSI's files went to NICAP. Um, same with Ted. Ted just, um, I mean, 
Ted went to Major Keogh and told him, hey, uh, you need to bring your your uh, your files in here to NICAP so I can copy them. <laughs> and the the problem with, with the problem with Major Keogh was that he uh, he had a uh, uh, one of these memories where he you know he he had a, a photographic memory so uh, um, he didn't need he didn't need to make notes or things like that he just remembered everything. But that's wow. hard if you if you're not going to be around later on. That's, yeah. that's So he used to give everything he had away while he was in his uh, early days before NICAP. And, uh, you know, he he kept telling Ted, oh, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I gave it to True Magazine editors. I used to work for True, so uh, all my UFO stuff went to True. And that's unfortunate because True destroyed their UFO files. Um, and Ted, Ted told him, you know, you must have something. So, uh, yeah, he did. He came, he brought in what he had, and uh, Ted not only copied it on the Xerox, but Ted didn't trust the Xerox machine at the time. It was, it was early, you know, it was the early, uh, 50s. And, you know, the, the, some, some, some of the early Xerox would fade. So he... That's true. He, That's he, true. He, typed, he typed everything up on the typewriter and made copies. Wow. So I've got some, I've got some of his onion skin copies of, of stuff he uh, typed up. And, uh, cause Are you going like to be able to get said, those on the Internet? Are you going to be able to get those on the Internet for us out here where we can see it on our phones? Some of, some of them already are on the internet. If you go to my uh, it's, uh, project nineteen forty seven, yeah, and go and hit historical reports, and some of those were uh, um, uh, either copied by Ted Blocher or investigated by Ted Blocher. So wow. I mean, it's uh, and, and Isabel Davis. So, yeah, there's some stuff there from her too, and um. Uh, Richard Hall, and so uh, uh, I, I, from the first time I visited NICAP, I visited them uh, 12 more times during the, uh, during my, uh, uh, during the time they were in business, Uh, um, so uh, I would go down there for two weeks or a month and uh, volunteer when I could get time off. So I, I would volunteer, yeah. yeah On the so, radio station, you, your parents. Have, how far was that for you to travel from Connecticut to DC? Oh, that, go by I, train uh, or plane. Well, let's see. Took yeah, a lot of money. I went, yeah. Um, no, it wasn't till I was in uh, in college that I made my second visit down there. When I got there, uh, I was work. Uh, I was at Northeastern working at MIT, so I had money. What were so you doing I, at MIT? Uh, I was working in the uh, laboratory for nuclear science. Um, the synchro- the synch- the, I, I was in the synchrotron lab, and I was. Uh, um, I was doing what is called a, a scanning. But it's not the kind of scanning you guys uh, 
are, are familiar with. With photos? <laughs> yeah. We were looking at photos. We were looking at photos of of um, of spark chambers. So when the, oh. when a uh, when a subatomic particle goes through the spark chambers, it would leave a trail because it would uh, um, the spark chambers would spark when these uh, particles would go through it, and uh, so uh, we were we were trying to find um, from this experiment. We had about uh, a quarter of a million of photographs that were made at uh, Brookhaven National Laboratory, and we were trying to find pictures of certain reactions that were happening. They, they were taking a, a beam of protons and shooting it at uh, liquid uh, or, uh, uh, yeah, it was, I think it was liquid hydrogen. Uh, oh, wow. It was certainly cooled down. Anyways, it was cooled down. So, uh, and seeing what comes off, and we were looking for uh, uh, looking at the reactions, and we had a way to computerize what was going on. This is an early um, computerized study of, uh, of of nuclear subatomic reactions. And uh, I, I learned a lot by working there. It was, uh, it was really interesting, and I get some time time off, and I would go down uh, take go down to Washington D.C. There, there are cheap places. Uh, you can live at the YMCA. I think at the time for a dollar fifty a night. So that's where I stayed for a while. Uh, when I was in the military. There was a soldiers and sailors home, so I could stay for a dollar a night. And um, when I was on leave, and I could go to NICAP. So that was uh, so. I, like I said, I visited him uh, twelve times, and um, it was really interesting to go down there. Uh, <clears throat> there's not many pictures of the people that work there, and that's kind of uh, unfortunate. Um, there was a uh, uh, a young, tall, uh, blonde gal. Uh, her name was Diana Sinclair Knopp, and she was about six foot four. And if you remember, if, if anybody has read about Abdamsky, he's talking about the uh, um, blonde. Blonde, tall, blonde Venusian. So that's what they used to call her, you know, the tall, blonde woman from Venus. <laughs> so she was six four, huh? Yeah, she was six four, and she, um, and she had, uh, uh, she had gone to one of the uh, uh, prestigious uh, women's colleges. I want to say Smith, but I'm not sure if that's right. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, she was uh, she was something else. So uh, she knew yeah, she. I, you know, I I'm in, I'm in a uh, school that is mostly technical, and she had gone to one that was uh, you know liberal arts, and so she makes all these comments from from. Uh, 
English literature or uh, Shakespeare, and, uh, you know, I had never read them, so I, you know, it was kind of it was kind of interesting talking to her. Um, and so uh-huh. I, what I did, usually what I did when I went to NICAP is uh, they, they, they had so they had so many sightings that they uh, had trouble keeping up with filing them. So when I went down there, I did a lot of filing, and that's a way to learn things too about UFOs because you you've got all these case files in front of you or all these clip clippings from newspapers, and you can read them. And one thing I noticed, I just hey, I got this clipping here, and this is this case file. But the clipping has more information that's in the case file, so further information. So then I I I learned to do that, you know. And of course, I showed I showed Isabel. <laughs> she said, "She said, oh, I've been doing this for about 15 years now. Do you don't think I hadn't noticed that?" Wow. <laughs> uh. Couldn't teach her anything, but she didn't yeah. know what she knew. So that's how we have yeah, to communicate yeah, to find yeah, out. Yeah, well, that, that, you know that—that's when you have a, you know, when you have a whole bunch of UFO information in front of you, you start to notice things that go together, you know. And uh, so that's—I'd sit there and put the the clippings and the case files in order, mark them up, you know, with the date and the. Uh, and the location, and then uh, and then I take them and put them in the filing cabinet. So. Well, the ACIR was what I was indoctrinated into in 1967, intergovernmental relations in Texas. And uh, Richard Cole did an article once, the State of State Advisory Commissions on Intergovernment Relations. I don't know if you ever heard about ACIR, but I have to keep it alive for those that I think there's only about, I don't know, there's not a, a lot of states still involved, but should be. Uh, it was good information for intergovernment relations. You never know. The USACIR, but had you never heard of ACIR, did you, When in your no, book? No, I don't think so. Know? No, I don't think so. Okay. It was more about, uh, well, I was brought in as, uh, at the end, uh, even though I was brought in in 67, it's like being a member, but I joined through uh, the state of Texas. And uh, being a spinneret and a hostess for the state through Houston, hostess. So I got it brought in and trained in diplomat. Ooh, is that you? Your phone? Uh, your yeah, phone? it's uh, it's 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 giving me there's there's something on the internet it wants me to see. Oh, you got a fancy phone. You must got a. Uh, yeah, I have the little plays. It plays uh, something like out of X Files. But, uh, you know, we can talk so much and take a peek later at the CIA files and the X-Files, but uh, they have FOIA UFO collection. But, folks, we're dealing with uh, different agencies and acronyms, but ACAR is a good one for, uh, I hope we keep it, but uh, at one time it was uh, disbanded too, but I was asked to keep the ACAR alive. So I'm going to do that with our (coughs) UFO Association and organization. Allied Command and Government Relations, uh, working together uh, with people like GN. And we're now like uh, consultants, independent, but we weren't out there 
advertising. Uh, but you are one of the few I know that was doing in-government work as well. We hadn't even got into your in-government because this became your hobby in high school and library, and I worked in libraries too. And uh, this, and then I worked at radio station when I was at UAB in Birmingham, Alabama. I became a uh, one of the first Birmingham and in, in the state, but they didn't even have a license yet for PIs. So, and they didn't have one when I moved to Kentucky, so I had to help them do that. That was very interesting. But people uh, behind the scenes, they don't really put our names out there. They come to us, ask us to consult and get our names, and usually uh, we do it out of the goodness of our heart. Very seldom do we get paid unless you know some company really likes us as a consultant. They may give us a, a few pennies. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I have gotten paid to do uh investigations but this kind of work on project 1947 now you didn't get paid but we can go and find a true magazine on your project 1947 so you've done a lot of copying and posting in your project 1947 and you didn't know that i was with acir or that i was a consultant so you didn't know anything about me and you had to ask uh well, I had to use my name Thurmond, my government name Thurmond, uh, and you tracked me down through Erica Loops, I guess. But uh, you came on with Barry Greenwood, right, the first time. Well, we've done three or four shows now, I don't even know, right. over over this year. But uh, you and Barry were at CUFOs, and uh, you and I have just concocted how we probably can do some more reports while we're still alive. A lot of people have passed. So I use the ACIR as Allied Command Intergovernment Relations because uh, we can do intergovernment or interassociations, however you want to do it. But I want it for transparency, and I've got Professional Trade Association, Archivist, Authors, Library, Digital and Oral Allied Command Intergalactic Relations, Peer-Reviewed Journal, ACO Who's Who. And I want to make a who's who, and you and I agreed with it, Barry. It'd be a good thing to put people's name and get who's who. And, you know, they were allies. They were comrades. They were people whether they were in uniform or not. You happen to be Army. I happen to be Navy, but I did joint work. And that goes with my Allied Command training. And that was in the Sierra Mariner program, SAM program. But uh, where did you go from high school library and learning about NICAP and APRO and CIS into the military? Do we have time to put a little bit of that in there? Because uh, uh, I went into the military in 67. Oh, seven so, years later. Okay, seven yeah, yeah. years later. All right, so there's a yeah, lot yeah. of information to track in there. Yeah, All right. I, I, was, I, I was supposed to go to Vietnam, but... Uh, um, North Korea seized the the USS Pueblo, which was on an intelligence mission, and so they thought they were going to war. They thought they were going to have a second war in Korea. So uh, I got diverted from Vietnam to Korea, which probably saved my life. Well, if I hadn't been a dancer and my husband working. Uh... He had five scholarships and was playing for the city of Houston with Dr. John Hill and Dr. Grady Hallman, and they worked with Denton, uh, Denton Cooley and uh, Grady Hallman. Uh, they worked with DeBakey, 
And they were having, remember, in the 67, that time, heart transplants, if you remember, in Houston. Right, right. I remember and, that. Yeah, so that's the time frame I became ACIR. But we had a lot of important people in our lives for two teenagers, and I was recruited out of the movie James Bond to work for the government, but some government people came to my high school and saw me twirling batons, uh, fire batons, and machetes. So I don't know. These were men in black. So I don't know. The men in black came and pulled us out of a James Bond and asked us if we wanted to work for them in the 60s. But people don't believe people in the X-Files existed. But they did, and the men in black did. So this all goes with our UFO association. I don't know where we're going to put stuff like that because I don't know if there's really very many people that got recruited back then that are writing books or telling stories on radios. So this will be something for us to add as a side note. Uh, I always found the government very curious, the ones in black. Now, I know you were in the Army, so you can sort of cross over into the intelligence and security field into that. But I was always like uh, trained Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and I wore all the uniforms. I even got to go to the Coast Guard, but they never issued me a Coast Guard, and I don't know why. They issued me Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, so I know how to wear those, right, or black, you know, black ops. I know how to wear those, but I never got trained on how to – where the uh, are assigned a Coast Guard uniform, although in Birmingham, that's where they took me. I don't know why, but in Houston, they had signed me to Corpus Christi, Naval Air Station Corpus Christi, and then I had to go take all kind of tests during Memphis when Reagan was going to seize all the air traffic controllers. They rehired me after I came back in the country from Africa. So they couldn't decide what they were going to do with me. But there was a bunch of spy stuff going on with some people. And so they were changing all the clearance stuff. So they, people from Germany came in and took me to Lowry Air Force Base. And uh, they had me go from Orlando, Florida to Denver, Colorado. So I have a really interesting training, but it was all still. They didn't want me, like the FBI, I worked a lot with the FBI. And uh, I trained in the Navy doing the JAG investigation, so I had FBI, CIA files. I had a lot of files, and uh, and that was while I was training, but they took me down into the uh, uh, the goat locker in Houston to talk to me because I scored really high on the ASVAB and the D-LAB, Defense Language Aptitude Battery. But uh, I, they, they didn't want me to connect, and I did U.S. Treasury. So I did those tests. Those are all, everything should be on record, but back then it was on paper. Now, how much training did now? Not, all of mine had nothing to do with UFOs, but yet they had me talk about UFOs when I went to Chicago, and that's how J. Allen Hynek met me with KUFOs. So, was any of your Army training or anything between KUFOs and NICAP? Because I felt like I was being groomed for something. But it had to do with the 67 Texas ACIR in NASA, and my husband worked for NASA. He got recruited into NASA, so uh, and I got pregnant, which gummed everything up, so I popped out four kids. But after that, I went straight into law enforcement, criminal justice, private investigator training, and did radio. And uh, I don't know. They never would give me a title except when I was in the Navy GS, 
But then I was never doing the job that they assigned me to, if you know what I mean. I'm sure you know because you'd be you'd get uh, orders in the military for another assignment. They'd call temporary duty. They call it TDY, but it's temporary duty. Now, do you know what I'm talking about? Does any of yes, that I ring do. true? I, yes, I, I, I've been TDY. Yeah, the most of uh, um, well, I've worked as a, in supply and uh, armor. I was an armorer when I first went in, and uh, they needed people in meteorology. I went to Korea, and they didn't have enough meteorology people, and so uh, um, I uh, I went up. I you know I I. I was interested in meteorology, so I went up to the uh, 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 Division Artillery Meteorology section up there, and uh, I was talking to uh, to the to the people that worked there, and I said, "Boy, this is pretty good. You're I, you're, you're releasing balloons and tracking them uh, um, six times a day." And I said, "This is this is really interesting." And uh, the warrant officer come up there and. Uh, Said, well, what do you know about meteorology? And I said, not very much, but I'm, you know, that's what I want to be when I, uh, if, if I finish college. And he says, okay, you're coming to work for me. And I said, well, I think, I think my uh, commander will have something to say about that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I went back to, I went back to my unit, and uh, uh, about two days later, they said, okay. You're being reassigned to division artillery. Report to the meteorological section up there. So. <laughs> well, what job did you want? So this is common, apparently, in the government, and especially uh, people crossing over. And I guess it depended on where they needed me as to what they assigned me to, because I was more of a consultant. And as long you know, while I was in the government, they gave me a government check, and I remember. Going to Washington as a rehire in 87, May 87, and I stayed at a hotel in Tyson's Corners, and they took me for a polygraph, retina scan, all that, and I was 33, but I was I was a rehire by then, so apparently all my paperwork from NASA, because I had to have clearances as a teenager, So uh, and I went to uh, the people, uh, I guess the Lawrensons might have come down to Houston or visiting from Tucson or Wisconsin. But I remember there was a big thing about the gentleman over in a Texas starting the first Texas MUFON. So when I was at that meeting, I thought at NASA in the 60s, so you were there and you're a teenager and you're older than me. But in the 60s, I, I knew we were meeting secretly and they were combining stuff, but there was a, a Texas MUFON. Do you know anything about uh, the different groups in Texas back in the 60s or NASA? Do you have any intel or, or information on Texas MUFON? I think it was when I was overseas, so I don't, I don't know about uh, Oh, well, oh you in Germany. Yeah, well, well, no, I wasn't in Germany at the time. I was back in Korea. But, uh, oh, you're in Korea. 
All right, so we got some overlapping. We need to check that out. Uh, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I knew that Walt Andrews formed MUFON, but I was overseas at the time, so I didn't. I didn't know what was going on. Um, okay, well, NASA had its own group of secret men in black, and uh, I don't know if it was the advisory council, but we were working with the people in MUFON, NICAP, KUFOs, all those people. So you think the government or NASA had their own people? or Because nobody... I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I do know We don't that, know what they you know, I, I, I do know while I was there at, uh, at NICAP, <clears throat> the way things were set up, uh, Ted Blocher would find out, uh, he would... Uh, he would be the guy that assigned what was going on for uh, for investigating UFOs. So he would get uh, a lead from somebody. Somebody would call him up or he'd find something in the newspaper. And then uh, he would figure out who who should investigate it. So he might send it, like I said, to, uh, to the Indiana subcommittee or uh, Albany, New York subcommittee to investigate it. Or if they didn't have a subcommittee, then he'd give it to uh, Diana, and she would write a letter and send him a uh, you know uh, information form and uh, uh, citing form and ask him to fill it out, uh, witnesses to fill it out. And, uh, um, if they had a local sighting, uh, she would uh, check with uh, NASA, the Navy the Air Force, the Army, Wallops Island, uh, which is, again, NASA, and and uh, advertising uh, companies that had airplanes, advertising airplanes. I mean, she had a whole list of people that she would check with. Um, well, that was, must have was, been how I got involved then, because yeah. that's something Bruce McAbee, we talk about NICAP. So uh, somehow we always come back to Afro, the Lawrensons, and uh, me in the 60s because I don't remember anything other than my brother was born in 59, and he was born, and he kept records, clippings, and I thought he was crazy about UFOs, you know? Mm I mean, I remember living on Croquet in Houston, and, you know, my friends in uh, ninth grade were making fun of him for he was just a little boy but he kept anything he could find on UFOs and it turns out to be he was more right than we were he didn't know so it wasn't until I mean I had sightings but I thought it was uh, from dying My I had di- uh, children you know think things but because I had died and seen people and then I went in the second grade to White Sands no third grade, third to fourth grade, to White Sands, and my uncle worked at White Sands in the government, and then other other uncles worked at NASA in Los Alamos uh, Missile Range, let's see, Los Alamos, is it Missile Range they had over there, do you remember, because you did something with nuclear. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that, yeah, that's the nuclear, uh, that, that's a uh, nuclear weapons place, Los Alamos. Uh, all right, so NASA and Los Alamos is in my history with family in and out of government. But uh, being an investigator and then meeting J. Allen Hynek, 
That's how you and I both met. Now you met Jay Allen Heineck. No, I never met Jay. I never met Heineck. I never met Heineck. Uh, I never met Keo. I every time I went there, he was at home. I never met him. Isn't that interesting? It just happened to be that. And now you're alive to talk about it, so that's good. But your firsthand, I met uh, J. Allen Heineck on an airplane. So uh, before he died, it was like it was meant to be to carry on. Maybe to you know, so you and I could talk now. I never figured out why that was, but it was like pre-destiny or something. I don't know because I was reading a Ruth Montgomery book. I don't even know where I was going. My mind, I can't remember. I used to fly so much as an investigator, but uh, usually I'd have some sky uh, police or whatever they call them. Usually they knew I was on board, I guess because who I was. I don't know, investigator. It was all secret stuff, like men in black stuff. But uh, Jay Allen Hank walked by me and saw me reading the book, Ruth Montgomery. So it had to be after she wrote the book. Let me let me look that up. But he died, what, 85 or 86. But that's still part of Kufos because he was – Jay Allen Hynek was the original uh, – hey, I'll let you tell the story. Do you, you want well, to tell me, Jay Allen? He, he founded Kufos. He was, the, he was the Air Force – he was the Air Force scientific advisor on UFOs. And uh, after the Air Force closed Project Blue Book, uh, um, a few years after that, after they closed Project Blue Book, he, he founded uh, KUFOS. He, he, he actually put it together. Um, so he gets I credit. Think, I, I think I can't prove it. I can't prove it, but I got a lot of indications that after they closed Blue Book, now I know he still worked for the Air Force afterwards. He was a consultant for the Air Force. I don't know if it was on UFOs, but I think it was. And in 73, he had his secretary pick him up at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and she said, I've never seen Heineck so mad. He was uh, clenching wow. his fist and shaking it at the sky, and he was really um, he was really uh, angry, but he wouldn't tell her why he was angry. And uh, right after that, he founded Kufos. So now I cannot prove that he was uh, he was dealing with UFOs afterwards. However. He uh, he gave the Air Force a uh, a proposal to investigate certain things about UFOs, like electromagnetic effects. Um, so he submitted a proposal to, to to do something, and he then he worked for the Air Force. Um, I, I like I said. I cannot prove that it was UFO. Nobody knows. Everybody that I've asked, Mark Rodiger and everybody else, nobody knows. But uh, he was doing something for the Air Force after Project Blue Book. Um, well, and I like have, I said, and, and I must have after passed. Yeah, yeah. But, well, he, it, but he I wanted Blue to Post. say before he died, he died April twenty seventh. 
in Scottsdale, Arizona. But do you know how he died or why he died? Was it a heart failure or you know no, anything about a, him? He had, he had brain cancer. He had a tumor removed. And uh, he died shortly after his operation. So. All right. Well, I met him, and uh, he's the one that told me who he was and asked me if I knew about Project Blue Book, you know, but he asked me in the back of the plane, and he wanted me to help, uh, like, because of, I don't know if it was who I was or because I was a consultant or investigator, but he couldn't, I was already in, uh, I had already signed up active duty Navy, and uh, that perplexed him. Uh, It did a lot of people, because, uh, I was in the middle of an investigation back then on uh, Agent Orange for Newton Schwartz, Benton Muscle White, and a lot of guys out of D.C. with Judge Weinstein and Agent Orange of Vietnam, you know, the defoliant DD-245T, the spray. And uh, that's a whole big complication. But somehow he was more interested in – what I knew about UFOs and aliens. So that's one reason I know it was him, plus I know what he looks like and the man I talked to. And we stayed in contact. It was secret, you know, because uh, I made sure he knew everything I did was anonymous. I was always anonymous because I didn't want to lose my paycheck, right? And I, uh, the people I worked with and the attorneys, it was really interesting because as a legal investigator, you know, working civilian, you have uh, certain obligations. But then the government grabbed me after working on that Agent Orange and uh, put me in uniform. And then uh, there was a big, I don't know what, some big, huge investigation going on, and everybody was fighting for me (laughs) as a professional witness or a bona fide investigator. So some people were trying to prove, you know, I was excellent at my job, and others were trying to discredit me. And uh, he came along, and he gave me a lot of good advice. So I don't, I know that he totally believed in UFOs. At least that was the, uh, that was the opinion I got. Is that he was very much interested in any information one could share, especially being an investigator. Uh, so he came across as a professional to me. But you're saying that he definitely, as far as you know, he was the original. He left the Air Force and, and started CUFOs as a separate organization. Is that what you understand firsthand? Right, right. But this is he, – he worked for the Air Force after Project Blue Book was finished. He worked – I don't know if he was working on UFOs. I can't prove that. I think he was, but I cannot prove well, I it. Went to- and I I'm, I'm very careful about what I say, you know. All these other well, yeah. people, they, they have a lot of speculations. They think they know everything. And uh, if I can't, if I if I can't prove it or um, uh, find a paper, find some kind of a trail to these people, I I don't. Uh, uh, I just say, you know, this is this is what I may think. But I can't prove it. Now I cannot prove that he worked for the Air Force after Project Blue Book about UFOs. But I think he did. 
Well, do you have any? He didn't give me anything in writing, so he worked for Center of UFO Studies, but that seemed to be all he wanted to talk about. So I can assume yeah, he, uh, that he, he, he was telling that, the truth. I, like I said, I think it's about 74 he started the, the center, so. <laughs> Fortunately, fortunately, they they got the NICAP files, which was, I think if you compare the uh, amount of information that the the center had during its history and the amount of files that NICAP had, I think you'll find that the NICAP files uh, was quite a bit more. Well, he, I think I met him. I had to meet him between 1980 and 85. Uh, is the way I figure it, because I know where I was with my children, and my dad took us to Washington D.C. I believe 78 or 9. But then my life changed with the government in 80 to 85. And I know I was working an assured confidential investigative reports, another ACIR when the men in black literally came and visited me, but my partner and I got in a big heated discussion. We were on FBI cases. We both had weapons, and it was during the Reagan shooting, and they put me to watch the television when it happened earlier that day, and my uh, investigator partner wanted me to be at a certain location, and I've always wondered about that, you know, because how can people orchestrate things and have you be a witness to it and for what reason except later on in the history is all i can figure out what's this 30 40 years 80 80 to 85 uh, and i've not put it all together yet so with you and me coming together with the ufo association i'm just wondering if all of this history is supposed to be recorded and if it's supposed to be uh, how we're supposed to put it together so that you're well, very let me tell you, there's a lot of things that life. need to be there's a lot of things that need to be recorded. I mean, you know, uh Keo had a lot of government contacts. So uh one of his government contacts was a guy named Brewster. Huh. So there uh 1952 after the uh, the uh tie uh, excuse me the Life magazine article in April of 1952 about UFOs, uh, there's a letter. Now, this is, praise the Lord, Keogh saved something. He saved this letter from Brewster, who uh, uh, worked for Republic uh, Aviation. It's a private company. Does a lot of work for the Air Force. For some reason, Republic Aviation went to a lot of meetings involving UFOs, and Brewster was the guy that went. So Brewster's this is in this is uh, after the Life magazine article. So he's telling Keo. First of all, he's been over to the CIA to try to. Uh, get them more interested in UFOs and he thinks, like he says, I think I've been uh, successful in that. That's what he's telling Keogh now. He's he's getting inside information about the the government. And uh, 
He's talking about things that happened with his meetings with the Air Force. And I'm saying, amazing. And he's 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 uh, he's a leak. He's leaking stuff to Keo. You know, Keo was very careful. He wouldn't take any classified information. But there's a lot of things that are unclassified. He also had a Keo also had a lieutenant colonel uh, in the Air Force who worked in in Air Force intelligence. And I can't prove it. But I think he would sometimes slip Keo um, unclassified UFO reports. And uh, one of the UFO reports that I think he slipped Keo was, and it's not in Blue Book, but it's an Air Force official uh, intelligence report of um, a radar pickup over the Pacific by this uh in 1958 by this uh, transport aircraft. And uh, these guys, uh, the people on the plane thought they had been fired at. In fact, the uh, pilot said, I, it's, it's the wrong color for flak. But he said, it was just like we were being fired at. And uh, the intelligence officer, when he interviewed these, uh, the airmen there, um, they said uh, the crew is aware that of the uh, of many aircraft lost over the Pacific. Oh, Keo just loved that report. He used it in his uh, in his uh, attempts to get Congress to act on UFOs. He had that report. Now, how did he get it? It's not even in Blue Book. I think his uh, lieutenant colonel friends slipped it to him. Um, oh, even before that, nineteen uh, in the nineteen about fifty four, fifty five, uh, fifty yeah, fifty four to fifty seven. Um, uh, Captain Bob White was the Pentagon spokesman. He was the one who was supposed to knock down all the UFO things. He 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 and Keo were buddies, and I am I know that he slipped things to Keo, and Keo was going to put it in the flying saucer conspiracy that uh, Captain Bob White believes that UFOs are real, <laughs> and White told him, "Please don't say that. I'm still in the Air Force." Wait, wait. <laughs> so. Well, that was sort of the way I felt by going into the – I don't know what I was in, to be honest with you. I have suspicions of the – I was in the intelligence community, but I was a consultant, and the FBI explained it to me. It, they have so much red tape, basically, that uh, I could – call make calls and do things for them when they needed it it was never anything illegal it was uh because i had common sense and i was trained in law enforcement oh my goodness that's g and it calling me let me oh my goodness let me turn this off this is that new phone i don't know how to do oh goodness uh anyway um i guess we've got we've got a few more minutes left but I'm not sure what you and I are supposed to do, but I believe try to keep a balance with uh, the reality because 
uh, from what I understand, he made sure maybe he maybe he knew he had cancer. I don't understand how. Uh, I still don't understand why J. Allen Hynek was in my life, except the kind of work I'm doing now, which nobody could have thought I was going to do. I just didn't think I was going to do this kind of work. I, uh, but apparently, I mean, I, I got interested into it because I had uh, left my body. So I came from a neuroscience type of uh, trying to find answers. You know, with your ball of lightning, mine right. was mine was finding out who these beings were that when I got close to death would show up in my life or willed me to, to go to White Sands where I had a UFO sighting and uh, and the second grade. So I was very young, but uh, I, I seemed to have intelligence about Sputnik in 57. And I remember my father saying, you still remember that? But uh, they didn't understand how I knew about it as a child. They were... Uh, I guess the, the response I had was I told them I knew about it, and I had a accepting response in 1957 with it going over. So something about Sputnik going over and then me dying in the second grade with hepatitis, they took all the blood out, tried to clean it. And when I came back, I had this really weird uh, desire to go to White Sands, New Mexico, which I followed up. It's very extraordinary and suspicious, but I became a, an investigator and apparently one that was well sought after because of my intuitive abilities. But I always thought that's because I'd passed over and come back, and then I did it again when my daughter died in 74. Wait, she just died, March. 15th, 2019, but when she was born, January 27th, 1974, I died. So that gave me a second time death and dying. But these extraterrestrial beings seemed to come around, and I seemed to have a similarity to them in White Sands. And I told you I had relatives that worked at Los Alamos Inn and NASA. So uh, there was all these secretive men and black people, and uh, I always wondered about them. And then I became one, but I was a woman. I just you stay anonymous, and you never, you really never know who you're working for. But you get assignments, you know, and code words and things. So not everybody gets that training. And I was trained how to do espionage things like that, but mainly in San Antonio through the Navy. So somehow, J. Allen Hynek either planned to meet me, but he asked for my cooperation and assistance, and uh, here I am. So I think this, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just not sure how we're going to get there. So there's a disclosure transparency story that wants to be told, and historically, it's going to depend on who tells the stories. Don't you agree? If 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 we can get it out there properly, with as well, you say. I think there's a there's a lot of things uh, about UFO history that are um, missing. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, the history itself that are that 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 is uh, one people don't understand what what went on, 
And two, their uh, UFO uh, history is full of myths that uh, uh, are wrong. And three, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, very few people know or understand. Uh, so, so, I agree. There's very I, I, That's what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to carefully check everything I can. Um, now, I want to tell you, I just read a PhD dissertation. Now, you'd think that uh, somebody that's going to write a uh, uh, get a PhD out of something would be would carefully research what they're going to do, but essentially what she did is write a UFO, the history of uh, UFOs in the, in America, and she's got so many things wrong there that it, uh, you know I said, you know what, if this wasn't a crazy subject, that uh, her advisor would have torn this uh, PhD thesis up. Wow, well, they probably didn't know the truth, don't you think? That's well, why... well, it's not that they didn't know the truth. They can't even get the things that that are well-known right. Oh, well, that's and... already printed or found to be a finding of fact based on historical evidence, whether it's true or not. How do we believe even if what we see in writing, based on PhDs putting out information that somebody else is going to think is the truth? And they didn't get the facts right. They didn't get the facts they didn't get straight. The, yeah, that's exactly it. And that's what we have about UFOs. You know, everybody's got their – they start off with their own theory, and then they try to find facts to prove it. And her, right. her, her, theory, her, her theory is it's crackpot science. So – No, um, we had people that got the facts. We just don't put our names out there. And we were, uh, I didn't want to. I wanted to be able to live. I mean, I hate to say it, but I had to, you know, live. I needed a paycheck. And I couldn't be a crackpot UFOologist or whatever they called them back then. All I know is I was assigned to do jobs and to get the truth. And J. Allen Hynek asked for my help and uh, wanted me just like everybody else, get the facts, get the truth, right? So there are people out there with that intention. They have a good mind, a good heart, good morals, and regardless of what folklore. But uh, the whole point was the uh, people that were in charge didn't want the public to know what they knew because knowledge was uh, control. Information was the uh, currency. You remember James Bond movies? That's how I was educated, was uh, that the spies, the Russians, they called it programming. They they wanted to know the truth. And I always thought the Russians were ahead of us. So now, talking with you like us doing ufology, would you agree that back in the day, remember the 60s and the 70s we're talking about, back then, we always thought there was an enemy and Sputnik in Russia was considered the enemy. Remember those days? <laughs> yeah, well, they 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 did have they did they did have advantages in rocketry. I mean, you know, inside uh, they, 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 they had people that were 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 pretty smart. And, and, you know, back to the 19th century, in in uh, they they had their own people. Uh, um, our, 
Germans were, you know, Werner von Braun was the main guy, and uh, our guy was uh, uh, Goddard. He was the uh, he was the genius in rocketry, and uh, but the Russians had people back to the uh, 19th century that were were already thinking theoretically about uh, 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 rockets and everything, and, and really advanced stuff on it and they had uh, they had the GRID um, uh, which was like von Braun's bunch in Germany they were advanced rocketry the only thing is Stalin put them in the, uh, the gulag and that that was uh, you know maybe five years that these guys could not work on uh, you know on rockets and so at the war, no, they were not as as good as the Germans, but uh, because they had to, they had to go to the concentration camps. But uh, Stalin realized that was a mistake, and they let them out. But uh, they lost that time. God knows well, what, what would have happened if those guys had uh, had been able to develop their skills more during the. Uh, uh, during the run-up to World War II and everything. <laughs> well, now we get to the ufology part, which we'll have to come back and do a show strictly for one for NASA, maybe, and one for World War II, one for the Russians. And then is Hitler uh, was Hitler really working on the de Glock uh, bell? And was there really uh, people in Antarctica? And how much of it's conspiracy theory and people trying to make the facts or lack of facts fit their stories all the stories that are out there and we've definitely drawn a line in the sand with ufologists now at the uh, events I understand they've come line with uh, those that are the nuts and bolts people not that I agree with those for sightings and equipment only uh, sort of like uh, we're going into space and we've got the future space science, those on the earth in space, uh, in the universities and in the corporations. And of course, the corporations want to know what, if we know of any high tech. And that was also something I was guarded against, was people finding out what I knew, not for the public, although I had to protect my paycheck, but the fact that uh, if we knew anything from having inside information, and people couldn't tell the difference, and uh, the government didn't want people to know the difference based on, well, if the who was the spies? You know, I, we're, we weren't internationally. We weren't a global alliance. You know, on some levels we were because those on the inside knew we all worked together underground, you know, with uh, Russians, Europeans, uh, Chinese, Japanese. We all worked together underground, but are in, in – uh, you know, science uh, for the government, but people on the outside didn't know that. But you know that because you worked in Europe, and uh, you you saw. Did you ever work on anything that had, uh, you know, various groups, maybe in uniform, maybe out? I don't know what you worked on in country or out of country. Well, did I, you ever I, work I knew that. I knew that. I knew that our whole. Uh... The unit I worked with, I knew the whole uh, um, 
the whole war plan was a joke. That was not our real war plan. I knew that was uh, um, the real war plan was uh, was not what we practiced all the time. We practiced and practiced and practiced, and it was and just a phony. Sense. It was phony baloney. We were if if a, if a war started with the Russians, we were going somewhere else. <laughs> that makes sense, did it? <laughs> Well, well, I, I think it people, made sense to me. I mean, you know, they they had pretty well convinced the Russians that we were going to go uh, uh, with this one German outfit, and we had another one that we had planned in mind that uh, uh, that we only went, you know, for every twenty times we tra- trained with our supposed. War plan. We only train one time with this other outfit. Oh, I understand. Sure, and that was always trying to keep the Russians not knowing what we were doing anyway. And the Russians would do the same thing with the with the uh, the we had the wall, and they'd put up little towns. They'd send people to towns that weren't real, and then shut them down and bust the people out just for show to fool the Americans. Ridiculous stuff. War games, right? Between countries. Right. I'm sure. That still goes on, the uh, Cold War. That's what we called it anyway. Well, you know, with the UFO business, we're going to get into a lot of the details and then how much we think we know and how much really happened versus on huge – I believe we should get people that were involved in the intelligence world and how many are coming forward with what they remember Versus what they were doing, and that will help us in the UFO business because so many of us were approached to do work that wasn't what we were assigned to do, and people don't understand that unless they were in the government doing that. Uh, I wonder how many people said, okay, I had orders here, but that's not what we were doing. Uh, I had this uh, job, you know, like I was a hospital corpsman and a security manager. I think that's the only thing anybody can find out on me. But then uh, I'm I'm even dead in the LDS church. They killed my records. They killed me. So uh, that's so they could even find genealogy on me. Can you believe that? I'm dead. Yeah. So the, the government uh, the government government's very powerful. Well, uh, I know in Korea. Uh, we had obsolete equipment that we were supposed to. We were supposed to uh, deactivate, and uh, we worked. Uh, we worked for the. Uh, we worked for the first rock armies. The Americans worked. I've been in a lot of units where I, I supported. Uh, we supported uh, foreign, foreign armies. Right. And we we worked for the first rock army, which is a giant. A giant uh, um, army group. Um, Iraq? Are you saying like IRAQ? Or is that no, what no, 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 no. I'm not talking about Iraq. I'm talking about Korea. The first. Oh, North uh, Korea. Republic of Korea. Yeah, no, the first first Republic of Korea army. It's actually an army group. It's a huge part. It has. Uh, it defends Korea uh, almost all along the uh, a 
along most of the DMZ. Oh, then, yeah. Then, a lot of people got assigned there, and you couldn't shoot yeah. because of the, uh, I don't know, was it Warsaw? You couldn't no, use no, your this ammo. Is, this is the, there's no Americans there. This is all Korean Army. There's no Americans there. And we when had you were a there? special, we, we had a special... Um, uh, assignment to the uh, to them. We we uh, were assigned to them, and then one day uh, General Hollingsworth came down from the uh, um, <clears throat> the uh, first uh, first Korean American uh, corps. And uh, he got up there, and he's uh, he said, uh, "Whatever you think your orders are, they're not." And he said, <laughs> "You may think you work for the First Rock Army, you don't." He said, "You work for me, and if I have to, uh." When you come to my area, if I have to put a battalion of infantry in back of you so you cannot go to your assignment, that's what I'll do. He said, I have plans for you. <laughs> They're not within the war games. So that was a, that was the first time I heard something like that. And well, are you I used to come in the end of the General Hollingsworth had nothing to do with where, who we were and where we were. But he used to come Wait. up and see us all the time. He used to come up there and he said, I want to talk to all the officers and all the NCOs. And he said, this is a leadership training. He said, um, because you belong to me even though you don't think you do. <laughs> I- I understand what you're saying. That's the way he chose to lead his groups, huh? Well, but you weren't in the uh, you weren't assigned into uh, special ops or special brigade. No, or anything no, where no, no. I didn't forces. do anything like that. I didn't. I didn't do anything like that. I yeah, was my in. I, I was in nuclear capable units. I was in. Uh, most of my time was spent in units that could shoot nukes. That's where that's where I stayed. Well, they put me around to observe and to take notes and get the facts and do oral reports. I mostly did uh, fact finding, checking, and like you do, paperwork checking. But they had me to observe mostly uh, commands and officers, and uh, I'll sort of think, I guess. I don't know. I just I think that's why I met J. Allen Hynek. I believe there was a group inside the government that knew and the men in black were assigned to those special uh, projects. And I did know the difference between crypto and nuclear, of course, but when you're dealing with uh, projects and investigations that are sensitive, I guess, uh, people didn't know the government used contractors in uniform and out. Apparently I did. Of course, when I went over to Pacific Fleet, I got to assign clearances and got to see people come and go, you know, how they had to get their clearances. I was pretty much trained in how all the uh, levels of intelligence worked for some reason. 
I never did understand why I got all the training I did. So all I can figure out is it must be important to have somebody set the record straight when the time comes, you know, to have a uh, eyes, it's boots on the ground, but eyes, eyes only is like what I used. Eyes only. You've heard of eyes only? Yeah, yeah. So you're familiar with that, that term. Right. And then a, a lot of it is uh, like brief, briefings with President Reagan, oral reports. And uh, you can be under disguise, especially in the intelligence world. But uh, the UFO business, the men in black, there are some. Now, the various levels, like you said. Now, remember, we were going to also make sure people knew there's various tracks. So we have those that deal want to deal strictly like Robert Wood when he talked to me on the phone. He was going to come on the radio back five or six years ago back when – or maybe it was longer than that. Anyway, back in the beginning, 2012, 2014, uh, uh, Stan Friedman was the first interview I did, and I deleted it, damn it. It wasn't intentional. I didn't even know I did it. But Stan helped me start this radio show. You're on Stanton Friedman was my first interview. <laughs> After well, Janet, but Janet and I were doing Aquarian Radio. Uh, but it was uh, Stargate to the Cosmos was the big event we were going to have in Stanton, and we were going to do a lot of talking about my husband's story. But I never got to it. Now he's dead. But with you, I believe if we'll keep going, we'll get as many names, and re- we will bring on reporters that are historians, and you say uh, those that are known. Whether they were anonymous like me or not, I don't know how many are out there, but I've met quite a few names. Most of them were colonels or uh, military that wanted – they believe in transparency and disclosure now because I was helping them – some of these people dying of cancer, and like my husband, they wanted – you know, they tell their story on their deathbeds, right, after they've had clearances. So that makes sense. To me now. Well, you want to do this uh, Thursday, or you want to wait and just do it next week? Uh, well, Thursday. You you want to do it on Thursday again? Yeah, but can you do it later, or is you, are you going to have your car or your internet fixed? At yeah, home yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I can do it. I can do it Thursday. What? Uh, are you going to have your house so you don't have to leave? I don't want you to, you know, be out. We need to do it before dark if you've got to go downtown. That's very discouraging, you know. You need to have good equipment, especially since you're prior military. I can't believe it. But if you're going to do UFO files, that is your, your love, right, is to get the history down as accurate as you can and the people with information at least get their Internet websites or SS feeds. Yeah, and, and get somebody, somebody uh, like I said, you know, I talked about Diana Sinclair Nup, the the six foot four Venetian. Uh, she's almost forgotten. Okay, well, it's and time. She, you know, she was uh, she was important for NICAP. It's it's kind of it's kind of uh, unfortunate. You know, she's just. Um, Forgotten, you know, there's, not there's a lot of people about. like that. There's a lot of people that are, uh, <clears throat> uh, and there's people we want that to think, recognize them. Yeah, there's people that that uh, nobody knows were important, 
know this guy's name. He's got his picture, and I've done two hours with you on radio, and I still don't know his name. He's got this picture uh, up here, but he has no name on it. He didn't put a – does he not know how to – you put a picture and you put a, a, a name under it. Uh, who is it? He's got a nightcap hat on. Nightcap.org, you sent us to. And I posted it on, I hit it so it goes to my Pinterest, but I have no clue who he is. Hmm. You know who it is? Hmm. Nightcap.org, his picture's in the top right corner. I have no clue who it is. On the left, it says National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. So apparently, that's who I was working with or for in NASA. Houston area before MUFON and didn't know uh, what they wanted me to find out, but I'd go find it out. So whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think doc- Dr. Uh, Bruce established it was NICAP or APRO. But I do remember the couple in Wisconsin. And so when MUFON came out and I was talking about it, they were making sure I knew MUFON they started putting in the things historically they didn't have up there. So they started putting the history of MUFON and the people. But I got involved with them by 2008, and it was, that was way too late. It was after James Carrion and the, and the captain was involved. That's when I got involved. But then people were dropping my name and making me real public, so I backed out with UFO Digest and wrote for Canada. But uh, I came back and did this in 2012. I'm really starting all over again with you, even though Stan helped me with the original. And then I guess you go back to J. Allen Hynek. So uh, I guess, and I never met Stan in person that I can recall. We always talked by phone, always. And I had big phone bills to prove it because back in the day, you still had to pay for, uh, I don't know why, where he lived, Canada or something, or out there. North, where we, Brunswick? Yeah, up he, there where he, you live. he's up there in New Brunswick. <clears throat> That's who he gave yeah. his uh, files to, the New Brunswick uh, Provincial Library. Wow. Maybe they'll give him a plaque. You know, uh, I just had Calvin Parker on a couple of weeks ago or after you or before you or sometime around you because I think after you went to that meeting or anyway, Calvin Parker of uh, down here where I live, uh, on the coast, they uh, Calvin Parker was taken, and he was had an experience. And that little town uh, put up a a little plaque for him along the river where he was taken. They're having a uh, I think it's October eighteenth. Uh, 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 was it? Wait, wait, that's my sister's birthday. Anyway, sometime in October, they were. It might have been this weekend. Uh, they were having a big thing where they. Uh, have his a big thing for him because of how much he's put the name of their town on the map. Tusk not right. Tuscaloosa, but you know Calvin Parker. Shoot, I can't think. Right. of it. Can you think Pascagoula, isn't it? Yeah, Calvin Pascagoula. Parker. Right. Yeah. So they put up a little plaque, and he said they were. I could come over and meet him, and he was having a book signing and all that. But uh, the closest encounter, Calvin Parker. Well, we'll we'll discuss and we'll separate the tracks with those that have uh, UFO sightings versus investigators that, like Robert Wood that just wants the 
physical, you know, tell us if you recover any parts of the equipment or, you know, want to know anything. Maybe they're still tracking Majestic 12 documents. I don't know. And Calvin Parker is a contact there. Actually, they call him an abductee because he wasn't consenting, at least that he knew of. They might have been just checking his DNA from what we can understand now. They always put them back, say they're checking DNA, but at least they're still alive. My daughter was ET contact, but they uh, her they were really interested in her with cancer, but uh, her makeup because she was other. She was so extraterrestrial. They couldn't track her genes properly, even though she was O positive. Apparently, once you get down into the blood, it's real secretive, too. I find that a lot of stuff we think we know, we don't have any clue what they're doing with us, <laughs> much less our blood. But the questions they asked me were all geared towards aliens and humanity about my daughter. And so I wondered after – anyway, it has to do with government, UFOs, underground, and things we don't know. and those that protect the secrets, and those like you and me that go out there looking for intelligence. But I did it just because J. Allen Hines gave me a whole new reality because I strongly believed that he believed in what I was saying was the truth, that I'd had a like close encounter, and he wanted to know the re- reality. And I gave him my side based on the fact that Ruth Montgomery wrote Aliens Among Us. And I gave him my E.T. hybrid type of look because I felt like I had a family in space. So he found that very curious. But uh, he was willing to work with me. He just said, get the facts. So we split it up, J. Allen Heineck and I, based on uh, the consciousness of the soul essence versus why are they here. And uh, he didn't say that Ruth Montgomery was crazy or anything. He didn't commit – he just was open-minded. He was very – because I was very leery of him questioning me because he did all the questioning. I was being interrogated. <laughs> I was extremely – for I don't know how long we had, but the whole time I was shocked. By the time he got through with me, we were there, and it was a long flight. So it may have been Chicago to Tucson, Arizona. I'm not sure where it was, but he interrogated me the whole time, but I, I was willing I don't know why. First, I wasn't because I was leery of him uh, asking me about the book. But after he walked back by me a couple of times, he had to really, come on, why can't you come back here? What's it going to hurt? He was very convincing, so I finally went back and talked to him. But back in that day, you'd have to understand, I was real young and pretty and intelligent and reading a book, and he was an older man walking by me. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's what Willie Smith said. He was he was really interested in women. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it, it came across. <laughs> well, listen, yeah, we're right. over time, so we're going to have to do this again. So you want to try to do it again Thursday in the uh, same time, two hours? Same is time? It, yeah, okay. Is this, if, okay. If it's the same well, time, sure. I'm concerned about your health, though. Is it still light there where you are? Yeah, it's still light here. It's just now getting dusk. All right. It's getting dusk. It's getting light? I'm down at the town hall. That's only about two miles away from my house. Yeah, but you have to do that every time you do a radio show, record? You can't do it from your house? I can if we use the landline, but I can't do it from... Um, uh, on a cell phone. 
All right. Well, you can use your landline as long as you can call into that 347. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, but then it becomes uh, um, <clears throat> if I call in, it becomes uh, uh, long distance. So. Oh, it's long distance for you? Yeah. Oh, it costs you. Does it cost if the radio show calls you? I don't know. It's up to your provider. I, I'm not sure. If you call me, that's fine. I mean, I don't pay anything, but I don't know about you guys. I don't know. On the radio show or my Mediacom, I have Mediacom, but I have Skype numbers, and we can do it on Skype, too. All right. Well, let's talk with, uh, to do future UFO Association archives on various tracks uh, and titles. And we will try to follow a linear timeline based on various organizations, historical documentation. And then also we may do one for historical linear and one for historical other reporters or other stories. But for right now, we're just going to cover mine and yours from what we understand based on what you've collected from being a high school student with a ball of light. And me from, oh, I worked in the library too in elementary. But elementary, UFO. Wow. Somebody wants to. Oh, that's a piece of All right. I guess we're off. Right? Yeah, we'll talk okay. to you later then. Okay. I okay, guess that's Thursday. the end of the show. Okay, bye. All right, bye. <laughs>